y'all hear that? Yeah, you heard that. Brother Rodney, fix it. <laughs> I know what happened there, but uh, just making sure everybody was, I was starting to think I was having a stroke or something. I heard a little squealing noise. I'm like, anyway, uh, check the announcements for uh, some bullet uh, announcements. Um, remember, men, we have our meeting Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Hope you can join us. Uh, kinder groups meet. Uh, tomorrow evening um, and remember our fall revival uh, starting on the 10th of October October 10th through the 13th uh, with Brother David Crow um, and so we're looking forward to that and I hope you'll be praying uh, for that it will be here before we before we know it uh, it's two weeks uh, from today and it uh, doesn't hardly seem you know, possible. So, uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter fifty. This is somewhat of a wrap-up chapter uh, that the Lord has been talking about the servant of Israel, uh, who is. Who is Jesus? Jesus was the one that he's been talking about when he talks about my servant. Um, you know, that where Israel failed, the true Israel, Jesus Christ, would come and he would fulfill and accomplish uh, the mission that the nation of Israel was supposed to uh, have, but also uh, that you know, he would make a way. Uh, for salvation to come. That that ultimate separation between God and man because of sin would be, that gulf would be closed because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Now, when we hear the word consequences, uh, we, we oftentimes think of bad things. But perhaps the reason we think that is because we've made bad choices, so we have found bad consequences. But consequences can also be good. Uh, if we make good decisions, there are good results. The Bible says a man reaps what he sows. In other words, what you put in is what you get out. And Isaiah is bringing forth that same principle of reaping and sowing in chapter 50 of Isaiah. So let's read uh, these uh, verses. Verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities have for your iniquities you have sold yourselves, and for your transgressions your mother has been put away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot, that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stink because there is no water, and die of thirst. I close, clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. 
The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I will not I was not rebellious nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. You who among you fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that you've kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. And so here the Lord is reminding us and asking this question, what is it going to be? And we find a lot of uh, prophetic utterings here in this chapter, although it's only 11 verses, uh, that prophesy or foretell Uh, what Jesus Christ would endure for us. And so Isaiah here uh, gives the people, says, listen, you've got three choices to make. And the first decision you need to make is will it be love or will it be judgment? He begins by reminding them, he he asks uh, this rhetorical question, you know what, where is the certificate of your mother's divorce? Who, Who do I owe money that I had to sell you to to pay the debt? Well, the answer is, God has not put the people away, and God has not sold the people to fulfill some kind of debt. Rather, the people have wandered away from the Lord so that it was as if they were no longer married. I know some folks, uh, and perhaps you've had some in your family as well, that that never divorced, but they didn't live in the same house, uh, didn't speak to each other, uh, and yet they were officially still, but they didn't have anything to do with each other, so they they were pretty well divorced. That's what the people of Israel had done to God. While they were near him and they knew who he was, they did not live with him, and they did not love him, and they did not obey him. And because of their hard-heartedness and their stiff-neckedness, God says, you have 
put yourself in the predicament that you find yourself in. You have chosen. God certainly wanted blessing. Remember, God had promised Abraham uh, that his children would be blessed, and through his Abraham's seed, which the children of Israel, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And yet that very nation, the very people, the very children of Abraham had neglected that family relationship. And so God is reminding them and reminding them, listen, it's not so much that God rejected us, it's that we've rejected Him. Mention here, you know, that uh, God, in verse 6, He says, I will give my back to those who struck me, and my cheek to those who plucked out my beard and not hide my face in shame. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Understand that he could have certainly made the outcome different because he was God after all. He was the same God that turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. He could turn those Roman soldiers into salt. He could have Change Pontius Pilate into salt. And yet he didn't. And when false accusations were thrown against him, he did not defend himself. He didn't, uh, you know, just think. he could have, you know, sent lightning bolts and killed everybody there. He could have done any number of things. And yet he knew and he understood the reason why he came. He understood the importance and the reality of John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He knew that promise and he gave that promise. He preached that promise and he ultimately would live out that promise because he loved us he loved us so much that he was not willing to leave us without a way to find the Lord and to find redemption and forgiveness and wholeness and so it was love that drew him in the garden to pray father not my will but thine be done. He knew that the Father would, would help him. He knew that he would ultimately be victorious, though it, he would endure great pain. He endured that great pain because of his love. And God has over and over and over again in the Old Testament shown the nation of Israel that he loves them. When most of us were treated like the Israelites treated God, we would have 
you know, said, well, enough of this foolishness. Pack your bags and hit the road, Jack. And yet, God says continually, he's calling them to repentance and calling them to a renewed relationship because God loved them and God wanted to be with them. But also because of God's love and because of his holiness, he couldn't let their sin go undealt with. And so it was God that was going to send two heathen, awful nations, one especially bad. But God would send the Babylonians and the Assyrians to come and take his people captive to foreign lands. And all that they had would either be taken with that, you know, that these other nations would take their stuff and their valuables. Things that weren't of any value were destroyed. And their houses were destroyed. And the cities around their walls were destroyed. And even the temple where they went and worshipped the Almighty God was destroyed. Could God have stopped that? Absolutely he could have. But if God had delivered them and the Israelites had not had to go through the lesson, they would have never learned their lesson. That God had, you know, just like all good parents, you know, you don't uh, start out with the harshest of punishments. You know, and, you know, start as small as you think will will get the job done, and then when it doesn't get the job done, you ratchet it up a little bit. That's exactly what God did. God did, uh, in, you know, deal with people for their sin. And sent prophets to call them back to him. And yet over and over again, they rejected that call to repentance. And so God had to take the extreme measure of taking away everything that they held dear. So that they would realize that they had made their life without God. And their only hope of redemption was returning to him. And thankfully, they, they did. It's interesting that historians tell us that when Israel was able to return from captivity, they never again dealt with the problem of idolatry. That ultimately was what got them into trouble and was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, and yet when they came back after this punishment, they, never, they finally had learned their lesson. And grandmas and grandpas told their children and grandchildren, hey, listen, this is what happened. Don't make sure you don't do this. Take seriously what God has said. Now, they weren't perfect, and they didn't just walk totally with the Lord after they came back. I wish that was the case, but we all know that's not what happened. Their relationship ebbed and flowed, just like our relationship with God sometimes ebbs and flows. But the thing is, we determine whether our relationship with God is built and we receive God's love or we receive God's judgment. And the second 
choice that Isaiah says that we have to make is will it be obedience or judgment? God is even saying, hey, listen, numbskulls. If you'll turn back to me, you can avoid this. But they don't. He said, understand that I'm able to redeem you. But I'm also able to bring judgment. And so he reminds them of God's power and God's authority. And if God has that power and authority, guess what? He has the right to direct our paths. And when he directs our path, we have the obligation to obey him. And we've got that old hymn, Trust and Obey. For there's no better way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And oh, had the Israelites learned that lesson. Um, They sometimes learned it. They sometimes did trust God. And they obeyed God. And they found God's blessing. Their life wasn't perfect and, you know, without difficulties and without temptations. But when they obeyed God, they were blessed. And they were relatively happy people. But when they disobeyed God, God squished them out. Their homes were ruined. Their possessions and their wealth was taken away. Why? Because they had disobeyed. And so God said, you know what? I've told you what to do. I've shown you the way. And it's up to you to follow it. The book of Proverbs says, train up a child in the way that he should go and he will not soon depart from it. Now, we know that there are uh, children that are raised in church, children that grew up in this church and heard the gospel and you know, were loved and shown how to, to live for the Lord. And then they said, yeah, I don't want any of that. And they're not in church, and they're not just not in church, but they're out living in the world, and their life is filled with sin. And what a shame that is. But the thing is, it's not God that pushes people away. We determine by our obedience where our relationship with God stands. As we obey Him, we walk closer to Him. But as we disobey Him, we walk farther and farther and farther and farther and farther away. And the Bible teaches that there comes a point where we wander so far away that we'll never turn back. And it wasn't God that pushed us away. In fact, God was calling us back to Him. He he was saying, repent, (laughs) repent. Over and over again, as we took every step we took away from him, he's calling to repent. And whatever that point is, and I'm glad I'm not the judge of where that point is, because it would be a lot closer than God makes it. Because God is much more patient with us than we are with ourselves and with each other. So I'm thankful I'm not the judge. 
And I'm thankful I know who the judge is. And I know that he's faithful and loving. And he will give redemption. He will give forgiveness if we but ask for it. And perhaps forgiveness and new life, that is the greatest gift of salvation. Not that we become a child of God, although that's a marvelous and a wonderful thing. I want to suggest to us that the greatest gift is that we're forgiven for the wretchedness that sin has brought in our life. And that God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. But the problem is we often forsake him and we often leave him. And so Jesus would show ultimately the redemption, the obedience. Remember, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But not your will, or not my will, but your will be done. In other words, what Jesus was saying, you know what, as a man, I really do not want to go through what I know is coming later tonight and tomorrow. I know it would be painful. It will be ugly, and I would rather not have to go through that. But he did, because he knew that was the only way any of us would have any hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ is not risen, then we are all people most miserable. But the reality is he is risen. You see, it was his death that paid our sin debt, but it was his resurrection that's able to give us new life. Because Jesus, just as Jesus had power over death, Jesus, when he comes into our life, gives us power to overcome sin and who we once were and gives us power to become what he created and intended for us to be. And if Jesus Christ died so and rose again from the dead so that we could be who God intended for us and created us to be, how do we do that? Obey. God does not leave us alone to figure it out. It's like a loving parent, when they're teaching their children how to swim, does not take them out to the lake and throw them in and say, well, they'll figure it out. No. A loving parent goes with their child and holds their hand, you know, and and holds them up and, and gives them lessons and you know what, that's what God desires for us to do. But in order for that, student, for that child to learn how to swim, and he has to listen and do what his teacher tells him to do. Because guess what? If he don't, he's going to sink and drown. And so we make the choice, not only will it be love or judgment, 
But we also make the choice, are we going to obey God or are we going to face His judgment? We make that choice. And then lastly this morning, Isaiah says, you know what, this third choice is will it be justice or will it be judgment? Although we use the word justice, we really do not understand what real justice is. And the justice that we think of is, you know, people getting their just rewards. I'm thankful that God's justice is different. Because God's justice says, you know what? Yeah, that Rodney Romines, he's as guilty as guilty can be but I'm going to pay the penalty for him. You see, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And what God is saying through Isaiah that God can do for the Israelites, he said, you know, is my hand so shortened that I can't redeem you? He's asking these rhetorical questions because he wants the Israelites to think about it, and they unfortunately don't until it's too late. He says, do I not have power to deliver? Absolutely he can. And he does have that power. So in God's justice is not justice that we get what we want, but we're justified by what Jesus Christ did for us. To know that God indeed does have a long, long, long hand that he can reach even the sinner that's farthest away from him. God is able to reach out and grab him. And, but here's the thing. For God to extend his long hand and redeem someone, what has to happen? The person by faith has to ask for it and receive that gift. The Bible says that God will save whosoever. It says whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul did not say in Romans, whosoever that calls upon the name of the Lord that hasn't committed this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin, and and whoever's not named so and so and so and so and so and so, that's not in. Our English text is not in the Greek text. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And that salvation is the ultimate expression of justice. Not because God said, hey, listen, we're just going to you know, overlook sin, and I love you all, so let's just hug it out, and we'll just all be friends. No. The reason it's justice is because Jesus Christ, the man who came and lived a perfect and sinless life, gave his life, his innocent life, and shed his innocent, sinless blood to pay my sin debt and to pay your sin debt and pay the sin debt of all the whosoevers. So the justice that we receive is not just cheap grace. It costs God dearly. And yet justice was paid. 
Not by my righteousness and not by your righteousness. Because your righteousness doesn't cut it. No matter how good you think you are. You're not good enough. But here's the thing. God says you don't have to be good enough. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. And he said the same thing in Isaiah. He said the same thing in Genesis. He said the same thing in Exodus. All throughout the Old Testament, this message has been the same. If you'll call out to me, I'll redeem you. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have revival, and we always think of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen about revival time. And that verse, if you don't know what it says, and I'll probably miss part of it, it says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their sin, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their them of their sin, I'll forgive their land. In other words, I'll bring restoration. But they have to seek my face. And if we're seeking God's face, that means we're not seeking sin, and we're not seeking the things of this world. We're seeking after Jesus, which is in a totally opposite direction. It's like if we are hoping to get to Biloxi, Mississippi from Pearl. And we head north. Guess what? We ain't going to get there. We'll end up somewhere different. And that's an important lesson Israel had to learn, and it's an important lesson we in 2021 need to learn. You see, we have a lot to say in how our life goes and how our relationship with God goes. And by the way, how our relationship with God goes determines how everything else in our life goes. But we make that choice. Mom can't make it for us. Dad can't make it for us. We've got to make it for ourselves. So God says to us, as he said to Isaiah and the people of Israel, what's it going to be? Well, I don't know about you, but I know that love and obedience and justice are a whole lot better than judgment. I know that I don't want to find myself in that line with the unredeemed that are condemned to spend eternity in hell, a place where Jesus said there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a horrendous place of torment. I know I don't want to end up there. And I know you don't want to end up there. But here's the thing. You have to make the choice for yourself. You have to answer the question, what's it going to be? Because it's not God that makes the determination. It's us that makes the determination.
marriage. Just like it wasn't God that divorced Israel, or that God that, you know, owed some debt that he had to sell the Israelites to pay for. Rather, it was the Israelites that had made decisions. Decisions that they knew was going to result in judgment ultimately. But they chose temporary success and temporary power and temporary possessions. And they began to think that the uh, prestige that they had and the power that they had was of their own making. And so God had to show, hey, it ain't you, buddy. It's me. And I tell you that that's true in your life as well, and I hope that none of us force God to show us what judgment is. I hope we'll choose to walk with Him and to know His love and obey Him and find that our justification is not in ourselves, but our justification is in what Christ Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. So God help us to remember and make good choices so that we have good consequences. And there are good consequences for following the Lord and doing what he says. Not only Proverbs says that he that follows the Lord and obeys God's statutes has long life. But not only so that your life might be long, but so that it will be happy and fulfilling and Not that things are going to be easy street, because walking with the Lord does not mean easy street. But it does mean blessed street. And we are blessed if we're walking with the Lord and we know Him. I hope God will help us to remember that important lesson. Let's stand together this morning. Uh, We'll be dismissed for our Sunday school. And uh, Brother George, would you dismiss us in prayer, please?